I'm looking for a copy. I really need it, actually. Of um, actually, maybe I should hit the back on the way home. <laughs> yeah, of Crimes and Misdemeanors because it's time to play that film Such that none f- of my students like. Every, that I do every semester of my critical thinking class. It remains to this day my favorite Woody Allen movie. I can see it. I can I, see others being yeah. technically better, but it, something about that one It enters my well. top five for sure. <clears throat> I have, I can see it. Though. I can understand it. It's, boy, it's kind of a culmination of like any artist, whether it's Woody Allen or anyone else, who's like, I kind of want to like get away with doing a, a Dostoevsky novel or something, you know, or, well, I guess in this case, it's actually a, oh, it is a Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky novel. Dostoevsky novel, yeah. 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 Um, but it's like, I want to get away with doing that and without mm-hmm. being, what's his name? Boz. Le, 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 <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. yeah. Without doing an actual. Glocks and with, in Macbeth or something. You know? uh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, that'd be a good movie though. Glocks and Macbeth. Oh yeah, you just call it that. Ooh, Glocks and Macbeth. Yeah. Oh, and then you'd be you could shoot someone and be like, "In damn spot." Ooh, not bad. Well played, Joe. Yeah, not great. All right, let's but not get our, <laughs> break out our typewriter. Let's go. Ding, ding, Okay, we're writing and writing our screenplay on a radio program in the in the AM. I wish you had seen. Flowers of the Killer Moon, which we should see in the theater. I, I saw it, and you haven't yet. And but but for some reasons that aren't going to be obvious, I'm not reading anything. Would would dovetail nicely into the episode we're doing today, in a very straight in a couple of strange ways. Really? Okay. Yeah, I don't want to give them away, but well, I like the fact that that story right there is included in FBI story. The FBI story. What the flowers of the Osage? Uh, yeah, the murders? Osage murders. Yeah, because that was a big thing for the FBI. Is when you say in FBI story, what is that? What do you mean? The movie FBI story with Jimmy Stewart. Oh no, I never heard of that. We did one about it. Oh, anyways, but it's um, yeah, it's this thing. Put it's like uh, Dragnet was. It was this propaganda film for the FBI. They put it together in like the like let's say fifties, early sixties, or Mm -hmm. something like that. And it's just like this one one agent's you know uh, adventures through the FBI. Over you know since its inception essentially, and was it the the agent from the Osage uh, tribe? It was an agent who worked it because it was a bunch of agents mm. working on it. But so, one of them is famous, it, yeah. And it, and it kind of, uh, I don't remember. I don't know that. I honestly, I haven't seen Killer Moon, so I don't know about that part of it. I don't know that this guy got extra famous on it or anything like that. It was probably just an amalgamated character. Or well, such. I think the the, <laughs> the th- idea was it was very important to the early formation of the FBI, given a lot of prestige. What was this? this investigation oh see and now i've heard exactly the opposite that mm-hmm. i mean i don't know this movie that you speak of but but that um what's his name cross and hoover was yeah. not happy with it and was sort of it was kind of a punishment assignment probably was but more to the point like the uh, the fbi in hoover was really good at spinning shit to their own propagandic effect do you, do you mean so, like the the being unhappy with it would be the thing they're spinning or the other way around yeah they would just drop that part of it and make well this is a feather in the cap of the fbi that's what they wanted to get across with that movie and then i'm sure you know the the, act, the reality of it is very poorly portrayed in the fbi story i'm totally sure about that oh uh, yeah that makes sense yeah. yeah i mean it even shows like uh hoover shooting dillinger you know, that didn't, he wasn't there. Yeah, well, we should um, save this for the, we should see that movie, I guess, uh, and talk about it. All right. Um, 
Yeah, I was. We thinking, just covered it, buddy. Okay, I was just thinking like, um, I really like all quest all quiet on the Western Front. The new one? No, no. I really, I love the book. I've always loved that sure, book. Sure, I've sure. tried it a few times. Great book. But I've actually never seen any movie except for the new one. Hmm. And it, it, in some ways, it's kind of that thing that we talk about once in a while, where it's like we love classic movies, but it's like, you, you know, do. <laughs> It, doing um, a serious version of plug your great novel in whatever it is in 1947 it's just tough because it means like oh well don't talk about sex in any way the violence will be mostly metaphor you know what I mean so it's like it's difficult and so I imagine like even though I understand why for instance in 1931 or 29 or whatever yeah. it was mm-hmm. that they wanted to make shortly after Remarque's novel I understand the impulse but also like how could that really be Shockingly well done. Well, it, you would think technically it would be kind of crazy, yeah, to pull that off. But they yeah. actually, it's pretty good, actually. Okay, I'm glad to and hear very it. Very close to the book. Okay, so I'm glad to hear it because I feel like this is a nice segue, and also as the Jimmy Jimmy Stewart mm-hmm. Jimmy Cagney because. I feel I'm going to make this over. Oh, and the Templars, we're bringing them in here too, kids. <laughs> These are, I'm going to make this overarching assessment that that won't ruin anything between the two movies we're doing today, which is the Public Enemy from 1931 mm-hmm. and the Roaring Twenties from 1939. Mm-hmm. That um, these movies, one thing I like about each of them uh, is that they are kind of brutal, f- given the era they were made, especially the first one. Oh yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. and also that, and I'll put this thesis out here, and then and then we can go through them, is that uh, they are in some ways visiting totally a lot of the same territory, but in many ways completely differently. Yep. 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 Okay. Actually, I was going to ask that as I as I said when we were walking in here, like I'm kind of excited to do this one, and I'm and I'm. It, it, I want to know if I'm crediting you with being smarter than you might be on this one. Because this is a really good call, these two movies particularly together. Yeah, well, for instance, I think there are some natural other calls that people might suggest, right? So, for instance, the the, the 30s movie that a lot of people default to for Cagney would be Angels with Dirty Faces. Right. And I love White Heat. That's where I would have gone immediately. Which we already Cagney. covered in yeah, this yeah, yeah, podcast. But... And we've done we've done Each Dawn I Die and White Heat before as part of like other mm-hmm. other projects. But these and, movies so parallel each other. And but and yet don't. Right. In many, many yeah, ways. Right. It's it's yeah. a lot of ways it's it's almost the same movie. Yeah. And then it fucking isn't. And a lot of that has to do with the technology and the era in which they happened. I think. Uh, I have a different historical take on it. Mm, okay. uh, so here's, again, I'll just, without giving up too much, I, I think that the first one's a, a sort of cl- classic cautionary tale. Oh, boy, is it. And the second one is a, is a naturalistic take. Okay. It's All like right. the universe against man take. And so that way they're very, coming from very, very different perspectives. And my feeling is the second one in 1939, the reason it's a naturalistic take is obvious. It's like the end of the Depression. Right, but I'm going to go one better because here's the thing: when did the Hayes Code come into effect? Thirty-four. Bingo. There's so, a lot of that in here. So in, wait, a lot of it in the second one, the, the pre-1934. Well, and a lot of it missing in the first one. I the, agree with the you. The second one, we had we we have also ultimately uh, the the bad guy gets punished, which is part of the whole thing, in both. Mm-hmm. But there's a redemptive arc in the second one. I mean. We'll talk about. That. I don't want to talk about that more huh. in particular there, and in the and in the first one uh, was it uh, the public enemy? Mm-hmm. There's like gay people on screen. Are there gay people? There's not just gay people. There are clearly gay people. Hello. Oh yeah, yeah you're yeah, talking yeah. about the 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 tailor, right? 
Yeah, I agree. Oh, Mush Nose or whatever his name is. Oh, Come oh, on. Putty Nose. What a Jew could he? What more of a Jew could he have been? What more of a of a Jewish person? I see. Wait, I think s- that was a definite allusion to him being Jewish. Oh yeah, maybe. But you're sw- you're just sort of jumping from because we were on the gay stuff for a second. Right. Well, I mean, just like the whole, but the but the entirety of the Hayes Code, no, all no. these things. Uh, Putty. Yeah, I'm sure that is an anti-Semitic sort of dig mm-hmm. there. But but Putty is. I'm talking gay stuff there too. He's a pedophile. Well, there's not just that. He goes to he goes. There's a scene early on where he goes to shoot pool. This is the first scene where where James Cagney is actually in it. It's like mm-hmm. you know the the kid has grown up a little bit, and so the character is like right. a young whatever. The, uh, putty putty nose or whatever his name is is shooting pool putty cock is what they really meant putty putty ball putty <laughs> testicle is is shooting pool and james cagney is watching behind him from a seat and and putty one of his ass cheeks is resting <laughs> is resting on james cagney's chin yes i mean it's crazy I, how the fuck yeah, like we really did a tight shot we're out of film uh, yeah no wide angle on this fucker. there's the one obvious shot that that's kind of parallels um a movie seven years later the big sleep with bogart where it's mm-hmm. like you go in and it's like you kind of flamboyantly gay up a character, right? Right. And and so that's less surprising to me because because uh, they yeah. were, they were doing that in like Fred Astaire movies all over the place, and, right? But uh, I mean, with Fred Astaire, what are you gonna do? Well, backwards and heel, twice <laughs> as much as a man does, etc. I agree with you, but all right. So 1931. So the 1931. So that one of the things is like. Like that idea, yeah. I think pre Hayes Code can explain some of the brutality in any movie prior to nineteen thirty four. Sure, but it's not just brutality; it's all the other things that they can bring into it. You know, that that were brought in pre Hayes Code. But I don't think it explains everything in this movie. I think it's mm-hmm. like it, this movie is dark. I mean, it's it's it, it's so you try to figure out like what are the movies that are very very dark from the the first half of the thirties right. that somehow seem to accomplish that. I mean, we can go back to like. Uh, what, what's the fucking the KKK movie in the, the teens the, the W.D. Right. Griffiths uh, yeah. Birth of a Nation yeah. uh, there are lots of movies that have darkness in them let's mm-hmm. say right but not one that's so like crafted toward darkness as this one yeah yeah I think I, I wonder how much of that is just the atmospherics of the black and white in their particular like the film stock that was used in that and of course we're getting a, you know we're getting a cut of that I don't know that's yeah but I would agree uh, with you there's something more than gritty in this movie. Well, I mean, there it's because maybe because Cagney's character has zero nothing going. He's not he's a monster from the fucking gate. Uh yes. Yeah. He's a monster, but it's it's clear the the movie takes pains to talk about um a kind of behaviorism like that he was made into a monster so for instance he's kind of a, a a wacky kid and he and his pal go around stealing gumball machines or whatever it is but you know and and some of that early acting with the kids is is i mean it's an abortion of of, of an acting class but but the whole thing where where the father calls him in for him having done something wrong right and his father's going to beat him shitless and and everyone's telling him what to say to the father but he won't say it and mm-hmm. he won't there's a lot of like you know what I mean? Like, um, well, there's a there's a lot of authority. Like, it's 31, so you know the good guys are the authority figures. There's no there's no, no if answered buts on that. Well, I'm gonna throw so a butt your way. His dad. I'm gonna be pig. a put, I'm gonna be a putty nose and throw a little butt your way, my friend, mm-hmm. it, because I I think the dad the because who's a cop, you're not meant to like him. My point is, I think mm-hmm. that the, the the case they're making here is that 
he that cop who beats his, his kid senseless and even the cops who sit around at a funeral going like he was a bum that guy over there and all this sort of stuff is like is that the, is that people are being undermined mm-hmm. all the time and they're being undermined even by authority figures hmm. is what i got out of this movie really that's interesting i th- i thought they were going with the angle of this is this was his his influence was be uh, you know filled with rectitude and and such from his crazy horrible irish stereotype yeah, yeah. situation he was growing up in and he would and it just had no effect on this monster well, that's that, how i saw it. that but the mother like his mother who i i <coughs> recognize her summer she was in the little princess as she played she was the in queen victoria yeah um but she she's her, the look on her face the hurt on her face as things are going wrong outside of her control mm-hmm. is kind of palpable too so i i can't help but feel like this is a story about someone who couldn't have been redeemed and so you're watching someone who's like i guess faded but faded by all these circumstances around him and yeah eventually of course he does become a monster no doubt about it Mm -hmm. but and i mean this is what it shares with the other one the premise is like what does prohibition do yeah yeah. and this is saying it at the beginning of prohibition to its credit it's Mm -hmm. saying like this is what prohibition does it creates this sort of underworld where people become monsters or monsters become successful or or, or, or where monsters you need to be a monster to survive let alone thrive you know but it's so i look at this movie and i look at like a movie we hate you know scarface the the one from the 80s but but there's been versions of of aspects of this movie all over the place but but it it's not as interesting to me because like there's something about about Cagney's character that could be saved in this, right? Like he's the the putty nose boy has the boys club and and he's kind of like what's what's the guy from Oliver Twist the 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 street uh, Fagan Fagan yeah. he's kind of a modern day Fagan yeah and so he has all these boys that are in modern in the thirties <laughs> yeah right sorry yeah modern from a hundred years ago and but but you're right I mean there's clearly we're not making this up there's there's a clear whiff of pedophilia around oh. the whole situation there and all these kids are being used and they're being turned into you know kind of narrative wells at least right yeah yeah yeah. Betty saves at the minimum. I guess, right? And and so it's like, but then you see you see people climbing as a result, right? So Putty himself climbs. He gets richer. He's out of that that bag. Yeah, that, I found that kind of interesting and surprising too. And by the way, did you notice when they see him, he's at a table with another, like a a young, like a guy who's yeah. in his twenties. By the way, I do want to point out, I'm a little angry at myself for not having brought up the goddamn butt in the face thing too, because I remember being like, "What the fuck is going on here?" <laughs> I mean, it was like resting on his to face. Self. Yeah, Oof. yeah. So so. But my point is, so like people are, are allowed to, to sort of climb because of this, this underground circumstance, yeah. right? But then what they're going to do with it? Because because uh, Cagney's friend, who's not a great actor, but but Cagney's friend is like he has qualms. And I remember as a kid, by the way, I need to say this, and then I'll turn it over to you. This movie came on TV when I was a kid, and and James Cagney was my mm-hmm. first favorite classic actor. Yeah, Cagney is definitely kind of your specialty in this I love podcast. It. Well, because he's 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 tough and he's he's got he's all the sort of stuff. 4 foot 7. Is that? But but also he uh he he's tragic. Like he's, he he kind of has both yeah. going on. He somehow yeah. does it both at the same time. And never mind all that nonsense with Yankee Doodle Dandy later on, all this other stuff. In the 30s is where he has all his sort of tragedy pinned in there and mm-hmm. i don't know by the way to your point about how tall he is how was anyone shorter than him in this movie but they are they must have been in the wizard of oz it's all the starvation in the, in the 19th <laughs> I guess, century i guess that's what it is but but um i forgot i was gonna go oh, oh no no so so this came on in 1982 when i was 11 mm-hmm. and this is when i was living with our grandparents oh i get it right okay. and so it comes on my mom's working that crazy irishman that's right. 
And it comes on, I go, I'm going to watch The Public Enemy. And our grandfather goes, I don't know if that's appropriate. I'm going to call your mother. And I remember thinking, like, it's from 1931, you asshole. You know what? Yeah. i got to say, it wasn't a bad about, call. I don't know about that. It yeah. wasn't a bad call because it's dark, this it's movie. It's a fucking dark movie. I like it. So, so one of the things is the technical angle of it. So I guess, you know, okay, so this movie kind of brought me into focus on why Cagney got the, where he got eventually right so this is um like because one of the things that sort of sets him apart is he's got those very intense sort of over overshadowed eyes meatball that's a big fucking thing and in in him that that takes him a long way this movie really highlights that Mm -hmm. like i'm pretty sure they're all wearing mascara first off could be but but more to the point it's also part of that impressionist period of of movie making so you know, it gets real extreme in Germany, and a little yeah. less, much less so here yes. in the United States. But this has the, that sort of impressionist quality to yeah. it. So it's almost it's almost weird to try to intellectually break down this movie just because of that. Yeah, in a sense. I I, I, I had the same feeling as I was watching it, and, and it's like I mean, M has the same thing to the your German movie oh, comment. Love that movie. Yeah, the thing was with this movie, what's interesting about it is it's this is the part where I don't think it's engineered. It's kind of accidental is you have all these people who are probably were uh, stage folk. You have, the, oh, yeah. you have the usual thing when there's a transition in early films where people who were used to on stage and, and they're new to movies where they were kind of shouting like they did. Okay, and that's that all of that sort of stuff we've covered before, I think. But what's interesting here is they do have like a, I don't know how to put it, like a Faustian, like a vampiric quality because yeah. of all that stuff. And who doesn't, I think, I, I take your point about Cagney's eyes. I, I grant you that. But because I don't think he comes from that same stock as the other actors around him, mm-hmm. he seems a little more natural than they are. Yes, that's true. And also, he's but because of that shelf on his fucking eyes, and uh, and the it, he's very he's very intense. Yeah, he, he intense. gets that better than anybody else in this movie. He is very intense. By the way, I also have to say I, the 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 major love interest in his life. I don't get. I I never got her. I never did. However, yeah. the wife of the of the mob boss, the one who tries to seduce him. Oh yeah. The wife of the mob boss. Yeah, I can't remember what his name. You're talking about um, what the hell was his name? It was like nails. No, no, I'm thinking of a different movie. All of a sudden, the other movie. No, it was oh. a super Irish name. Something. Oh, the guy. Something O'Murphy. Patty O'Patty from the. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, he, and he and he stashes him in the house mm. where, and takes away their guns and all like that. And he puts him in the charge of his wife, and he was much cuter to me. Well, what Cagney had the. He had um, Joan Blondell was the first one, right? Like they go into that cafe, he mm. and his buddy, and they they pick up the two chicks with the right. drunk guys, right? Right. And so she's sort of, um, I never got her. And then Jean Harlow, we did an episode on her. I, I get her conceptually, but I don't really understand no. all the appeal. No, but like a, I will say that. Like a buddy like a bag of water. I mean, let's not miss the most, maybe the most iconic scene. Says <laughs> it's, me. It's a good, yeah, good comment. Um, um, the most iconic moment in this movie where he's tired of, of his <laughs> wife and he just picks up a grapefruit and smashes her in the mug with it. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. That's good stuff. I like, you know, I thought that was a really interesting choice because in my head, I've always sort of like, like I've seen the scene many times, but yeah. every time I think of it when I'm not watching it, yeah. he's like grinding it into her yeah, face yeah, like I he's know. like getting juice out yeah. of it. Or 
no, no. which would be so much better. But sure. uh, but he doesn't. It's just like, yeah, this contemptible thing. Yeah. He's like, he's fucking mad because she made him breakfast. Well, yeah. what the fuck, dude? But it's, yeah, that's yeah, what I mean. He's a monster. It's actually a pretty dark scene because it's like, it's, I mean, it, on paper it doesn't seem that dark, but it's like everyone is just fucking, they're falling apart and they're grasping at these temporary sort of fixes mm-hmm. that being having access in the underworld will get you but it's like this clear arc and of course the the, the most sort of obvious and maybe ham-fisted character but it's still important is his brother the good brother yeah, which yeah. is again a 1930s trope you have the good brother and the bad brother it's right? kind of almost always a trope isn't it like mm. I can't think about like guy, guy goes wrong into the underworld that doesn't have like Somebody upstanding nearby. Well, except for fucking Scarface, dude. We should do both both of those movies. Yeah, but the thing is, but the thing with upstanding is upstanding. Yes, but in the thirties, it was no. not just upstanding. It was like uh, my brother is going to be a priest. He's going to be a district attorney. It's always something that's crazy. The opposite. Yeah. And the and the actor here was was ham fisted. I felt, Oof. but the point was kind of it was interesting. They're punching each other. They're rolling downstairs. Well, I did like that fact about it because usually, well, because usually in, with that particular trope, from lack of a better word, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Carl Malden and whatever, you know, when they have like that upstanding person representing the path that, you know, our bad character could have gone down, mm-hmm. almost always they're physically like non-confrontational. This guy threw a punch. Oh, I yeah. like that. It was kind of good. No. He's... That made a lot of sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's a great movie, and it has. It has and he was a, a complete twat, so you know. He was a bit of a twat, and the the movie also has a um, an ending that's like, I mean, not to give it away, but it's like it. it I remember it as a kid, it kind of freaked me out. Yeah, it's pretty. That is brutal. Is that 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 ending? The knock at the door. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, for 1931, it definitely is a movie that will surprise you yeah. at how captivating it is. Good. And dark. It it's is. a very good movie, and yeah, very, very dark. I, yeah, I would agree 100. percent 100. percent 100. percent kid. I agree with you 100. percent Nah, you don't understand. Yeah. All right. So the public enemy. Five percent. And also, I mean, it's like uh, just to sort of mention some others, like Angels with Dirty Faces is is a, a complete ripoff of. Manhattan melodrama, is which it? is which is William Powell and, and Clark Gable, and it, okay. it's like the instead of a priest, it's the DA, but it's the you know and Blackie hmm. the the criminal and and is uh, Spencer Tracy. I always get Carl Malden and Spencer Tracy mixed up in those in those kinds of roles. Well, Carl Malden, I thought you were talking He's a minute ago with fifties. You were you were mentioning probably I thought the One Eye Jacks when you said the two choices you can make. Yeah, well, that um, probably uh, was on the waterfront that kind of thing. You know, he always that upstanding character. Yeah. But but he was from a later generation. You're right. It would Spencer Tracy Angels with Thirty Faces. No, no, that Pat O'Brien. Sorry, that it's Pat O'Brien and Angels with Thirty Faces. That's it's, okay. Some Mick. <laughs> no, but it's but Spencer some Tracy did it. Just Mick did it in uh, San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. And and William Powell did it in Manhattan Melodrama. Well, but I'm just saying it's it's kind of these it, it's they're, they're rehashing a lot of the same things in yeah, the 30s. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It just becomes interesting to see how they rehash them and whether they're successful or not. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Uh, our, I think it's a good it's it's it's, it's a movie, movie of its time and place it's a great movie totally worth a watch if you don't like it I understand it's not, this is a, this is of these two movies this is one that's going to be hardest for somebody who loves Ariana Grande to enjoy hmm. yeah yeah because it it's I think this movie is deliberately not paying off to your sense of good feeling oof yeah, you know what I'm saying? I think I know what you meant. Yeah, yeah, they're really tr- they're really not trying to make you feel good. 
in this movie. Well, they're doing the thing that movies did back then. This is another sort of trope of production, which is like it begins with we, the undersigned, you know, <laughs> this happens in America, although these names are not. And so it The Jewish menace. Okay. Well, I mean, in a way, right? It yeah, is yeah, trying yeah. to, it's propagandizing in that sense. I mean, in it is obviously a much better movie than Reefer Madness, but it has some of the same yeah, qualities yeah, as yeah. Reefer Madness. Because it's also, because these they were also morality tales too. Back, right. Back then. Right. And I mean, that's what's f- fucked up about all censorship, really, is that <coughs> they, they were morality tales. Mm-hmm. And in order to tell a moral tale, you have to get into the muck. That's what the host, the host crate, the, um, the code, the Hayes code, the host crate, <laughs> the Hayes code got wrong. It's like, we need to be more, more moral by making sure you're handcuffed in terms of what you can talk about. And that's like, there's no good morality tale that comes out of that. Yeah, not, yeah. Well, it, uh, put it this, it's going to take a lot more work to get it out of that for it's sure. It's going to take a Because I'm going to say the next movie we're going to be talking about in a minute mm. is not a bad example of how to do that instead of the Hayes code. Not a bad example of how to deal with morality inside of the uh, while dealing with the Hayes Coates restrictions. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's definitely because it because it, ho- it, it it fucking goes it it hoves to uh, toes all of those lines. Mm-hmm. Still managed to get the story across, and it, it definitely is more mainstream in some mm-hmm. ways. It takes a softer key. It's we're again talking about the Roaring Twenties from 1939. This is an interesting thing there because it's like that means that you're making a film in 1939 about just ten years before. Right. And that that whole decade and, and trying to sort of make some sense out of it while you're also dovetailing off your own insensible decade with with uh, 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 the, uh, the Great Depression. And even and it makes reference to this in the film, the possible upcoming Second World War. I think that's I think that's one of the sort of undertones of this movie that I really enjoy. First off, it did a, it did an interesting thing, which movies tend to not do. Uh-huh. Which is, it talked about the effects of the previous big old war that we were in. Right. And then it was alluding to the war that's coming up, which I thought was very interesting. That That's pretty cool. Yeah. Most movies, like, they're either for or against it, but they don't... But and after World War II, of course, we had uh, Best Years of Our Lives and things like that. But this, yeah. was, this was not unreasonable rep- representation yeah. of what World War I did to, like, a whole generation of American males. Well, and so, again, this one borrows... I, I, there was an immediate thing I noticed between this film and, and, and the aforementioned um, All Quiet on the Western Front, mm-hmm. which is... Oh, so, well, it begins in World, it begins in World uh, War One, yeah. Literally, in, like, Armistice Day, World War One. By the way, I don't know anybody was as surprised by Armistice as they were. I think that was a well-known well, thing. Except they that Cag- Cagney said, like, ah, this is the fourth time they told us. So mm. I think I they're trying to... Yeah, I get you. So, but they, but they they before they go into this foxhole and and it's the announcement comes that it's the war is over. They it's clear that the Bogart character in this movie co-stars or third billing maybe Humphrey enjoys, Bogart enjoys the presence of okay um, Humphrey Bogart Humphrey Bogart's character um, the their sergeant who's a real asshole was once a cashier or something in in Humphrey Bogart's family business. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and but it's like you know, I'm gonna get you if I ever run into you on the outside. But yeah, and also like Bogart plays that you know he's that he's he's the rat with a pair of shoes. You know, he's like the the enraged, the angry rat. Well, he, who's willing to kill anything. You know? He's not dumb, but he's like it, he's smart. Uh, very obviously, but but there's something wrong with him. That's no. very clear immediately. Okay. Well, I was gonna say, but it doesn't matter. But he's anyway, too angry. So... <laughs> I know you are too, Joe. But still. Okay. I'll get an word in edgewise if it kills you. All right. So we, they're in this foxhole. 
and and they're shooting one of my favorite things in all of movies is they're shooting um they have there's there's Cagney there's Bogart and then there's a younger uh, character Lloyd right and Lloyd's like the home you know corn pone good guy right and and Lloyd lifts his rifle to shoot and he he takes it down and Bogart goes what's the problem and he goes well that kid looked like he was only 15 and Bogart raises his gun fires and goes he won't be 16 yes I love it that was a great line good bogey (laughs) but it's like yeah I I, maybe I shouldn't say smart or not smart he's he's less complicated I mean, yeah. he just is, he just, he, he has a role and it's like, he's the rat. He's just like the rat. And he's mm-hmm. either going to be like, if he's likable, it's only because uh, of the um, tolerance of Cagney. Yeah. I think, well, cause rat, I think uh, Cagney understands that that's maybe not a bad characteristic to have under these circumstances. Having that in your back pocket and one of your friends is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. But unlike the last film, Cagney is the gangster with the, with the moral center. A heart of gold. Yeah, so I mean, there's that whole thing He's, where he didn't want to be a gangster. He wanted to be a good guy. He, want, he was forced into it by people who wouldn't hire veterans after they came back. You know, from the those bastards. Oh, that's what I want to talk about. There's like every war like that has that moment. That's nothing new. We think about we think about it being oh, like oh, Iraqi veterans don't get taken care of, dude. That's a that's a fucking always thing. Mm-hmm. It really is. Okay. Well, okay. I don't thank know. you for your service. By Tom, the way, if that's what Veterans Day for. was just the other day. Feeling it. I mean, you're all welcome. You're all welcome. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the other trope. So he comes back and the war's over. Um, I, I love and have always loved this, um, this character actor. I'm going to look it up, but it's Danny, his friend, his dopey friend, Danny, who also is in one of my favorite movies all through the night. He's just always sort of like, uh, uh, a loyal, loyal guy who's dumb as rocks. Uh, wasn't he in, um, what the fuck was that Spencer Tracy movie where he's like the mayor of, uh, Boston? Uh, the last hurrah. The last hurrah. Wasn't he, he, wasn't he like the like the guy? With, hey, it's a hamburger talking about a maybe, hamburger. Maybe. It's like, if not, it's that character. Yeah, and and so he and his friend Danny um, <clears throat> decide they're gonna you know big boost, still huh? use the American dream that 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 <laughs> Cagney just got through fighting for, and and uh, uh, they were cab drivers going to share a cab and and build up a company or something like that. But they get in, entangled in the the booze business. Right, you got a cab like carrying booze from point A to point B. It's a natural cover. It's it's it, it there's a there's a logic to the way they progress into it that's really interesting it's good but and at the same time they have a b plot which is a very classic b plot it's maybe even in other other bogart movies which is when they were in france killing teenagers they got a uh, one of those um not but not 17 year olds but there must have, yeah. but they must have been the, you know during the war it's like these campaigns right like girl scouts right your oh send yeah, a picture yeah. or whatever a big fucking thing yeah so so this girl had sent a picture oh, sort of implying that she was a lot older and when they finally go out to see her miniola and miniola long island mm-hmm. to go see her she's actually a teenager so it's like well you know, we're great guys we kill teenagers we don't fuck them yeah right. and so so they leave her alone and then they he runs into her again and she's becoming a, a, a showgirl and an adult attractive and, she's got a voice it's a little sister carrie by the way that 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 mm-hmm. arc there because right. it's like it, part of what's happening in this movie is how do your morals change as a result of your climbing in the system mm-hmm. and and i think the the center of the compass is always cagney because he's not yep. he's no different whether he's in all of he's his movies basically really. this, yeah right that's he's, true to that, yeah. his morality is always there and that's the mm-hmm. thing about him he's the vicious nice guy yeah, yeah, except yeah. in White Heat. Well, yeah, or, or, or yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's the he's the um, 
He's the nice guy, but he's got to get things done. Yeah. He's, he's, the, he's the American male of his time. But it's no surprise that in this film, for, for 90% of the film, he's a bootlegger who drinks milk. Yeah, of course. Before of course. killing people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, so I, do you mind if we take a step back really quick? Because I want to talk back, about baby. something a little more technical Please. on this thing. Which is, this is directed by Raul Walsh. Yeah. And Ra- Raul Walsh, in my mind, he's one of those guys who, you look at him and go, you know, why not him? Like, why John Ford, but not Raul Walsh? Because I don't think Ford is any better than Walsh was. Walsh is a hell of a director. Mm. I think. And he's really good. But, but the other thing that's really interesting about this movie, particularly in contrast to um, the, the public enemy, yeah. which is why I asked my question at the, at the top of the show, which is it's, it's a very similar thing, but you can see the change just in the technology and how much it's, first off, it's a better story. Yeah. Roaring Twenties is a bit, is better story-wise, I okay. think. I think so. Uh, but it's also technically, it's so much more adept. How much that 10 years, yeah. or is it, no, eight years, has really made a difference in Hollywood at that point. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, that's that's why I thought it was so great. Well, you know, following one with the other is you could really see that difference in the, in the way the uh, technique, not just technology, but technique, all that stuff. Like, And it, not just choices, but... You know, particularly in the uh, in the public enemy, those were choices that they probably didn't have a call on. You know what I'm saying? Oh, agreed. You know, le- less dynamic shots because cameras were more, you know, uh, were more primitive. Yeah. No. So I, mean, I thought that was fucking. I thought that was a tremendous. That was a great call to put these movies back to back, if and only if for that reason. I mean, the, there are a lot of other reasons, but that was really that kind of stood out to me. I don't know, but I don't know if Raul <laughs> Walsh is as great as you say. I always think. Of, what's the word you use? You use like a. Um, apt or like yeah what, he is a very good uh whatever that word is but yeah i mean so it's like i, I think it like they drive by night um this movie which i like a lot mm-hmm. but it, i i still would say sierra. it's like high sierra is probably his best yeah. movie mm-hmm. but yeah okay fair enough i put up i put high sierra up against almost anything else that uh what's his name put up john ford or john, john houston john ford not houston though no, Houston's his own thing. I'm sorry, I love him too much. No, I agree with you there. Yeah. Against anything, John Ford. Yeah, I, I always think of John Ford as like a very accomplished director. Yeah, and you could you could probably hand me three or four movies of his I really like, but I never think of him as a great director. I don't, I don't know yeah, why, but he probably but, is. I mean, yeah, but but see, I don't see how Raul Walsh doesn't fall into the same I thing. See what Super you're saying, competent. Man. Yeah, you know, I think just it just got to the point where I think Ford competent. Like, that's the word. <laughs> uh, Ford just did enough movies to become John Ford, and at that point, you know, whatever he wanted to do, he would do. Right, right, right. You know, you know comedy <laughs> like racist uh, comedy uh, cowboy movies. Uh, you know, all of the searchers or something like that. Like, yeah, that's a very intense movie, and then sudden weird jokes coming out of nowhere. Oh yeah, for sure, definitely the John Ford thing. But I don't see that as you know, that's not that's not Hitchcock, for instance. I think of it as very competent. competent. That's my take on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So much better than we are. Anyway, so I just wanted to point that out. I thought that was really kind of it was very fascinating, particularly in the juxtaposition of these two. Yeah, and and also, I, and I can't. Uh, that's not. There's a couple of songs uh, in this movie that, like, I'm I love jazz and yep. I even love pop jazz. Mm-hmm. But there's some pop jazz in the 20s that I only find kind of like oh adorable or likable. Mm-hmm. They never give me the feelies. Okay. And it's like I can like T for two or something. I'm like ah, you know okay right. interesting. There's a couple in here. In olden days, uh, yeah. Uh, and one of them is like I'm just wild about Harry. There's a few yeah, yeah. where it's like. The context that they put him in is fucking heartbreaking after a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 
I was so cur- I was so intrigued by like the soundtrack and the the music going on in this movie that I looked. I wanted to make sure everything was like a- appropriate time and place because I'm a I'm a douchebag that way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it kind of was that way. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's it, well. So so then there's the arc here, right? So it's obviously the the difference here is that in the one in the public enemy whatever befalls the Cagney character is ultimately his fault, even though we see that he was set off on the wrong path, let's yeah. say, or we, we buy into that theory. Well, but, some liberal you know, interprets in that manner, yeah. Well, in this one, he has that moral center. So so when this movie develops, mm-hmm. it's like you really see that he is the victim in so many ways in this film. Right, right. He doesn't really... In Public Enemy, if you don't buy their their bootleg, their bathtub gin, yeah. you're going to get knocked out or killed. Or killed, yeah, yeah. In this one, mm-hmm. it's not quite like that. It's like he's the guy who's yeah. sort of like, ah, I'm not going to do your thing. Let's do something inventive here. He's yeah. kind of like <laughs> the guy you want taking you to, to Burning Man or yeah. something. Well, no, but okay, yeah. <laughs> well, sure. I was close on that one. <laughs> No, but well, like he's kind of like I say, he's that very uh, he's that sort of business like American male is yeah. what he's really representing there. I guess as much as anything, and how close that is to a criminal enterprise, I guess, is anybody's. Uh, oh, that's fair enough. Be an too. Interesting place to take that. They don't take it there in the movie for sure. But, but. this what Gladys George at first at first you're apt to be annoyed with the Gladys George character, the old canary, the, the frowsy woman canary, who yeah. runs the uh, yeah. But she's but you see the the love triangle. It hurts almost as much as the way we were. The way that 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 Cagney feels for Priscilla Lane, yeah. who only wants the other guy, the Lloyd character, mm-hmm. and the way that Panama Smith or whatever her name is, Gladys George, the way that she it's Gladys George, right? Uh, the the way that sh- yeah. she likes Cagney, but it's all this unrequited love, and everyone's aware of it. Mm-hmm. So Cagney's aware of the feelings that she has for him, right. and he likes her, and he he's loyal to her. But ultimately, he will still sit there by the time he starts drinking and becomes an immediate drunk. Yeah. He will still sit there knowing that, telling about the torch he still carries for the Priscilla Lane character. Right, to her specifically. To her specifically, and she'll sit there and listen to it. And so by the time everything unwinds in the end, (coughs) and that tragic ending, even though the last line's a little corny, is, I, this movie always gets me. It's a great movie. It's a genuinely great movie. I mean, yeah, like the last, uh, he gets shot and dies on the the steps of a church. Thanks, Tom. Thanks. What? What? Sorry, everyone. Spoiler alert. Yeah, they all die in these fucking movies. Nobody survives these fucking things. Yeah. But um, the other thing I want to point out is that Lloyd character who starts mm-hmm. off not able to shoot the fifteen-year-old there, he grows. He becomes that moral that moral center character in the movie. Well, I wouldn't even say center. He's like the mainstream morality. Yeah. If, well, okay, right? sure. Well, because think, he also dabbles in the criminal element of it, but when it gets too crimey, yeah, he makes too crimey make for his his, his vagine gets all dry and he bails uh, on juicy, it. Juicy, mm. Yeah, I hear you. I, uh, what the fuck? And, and Bogart's character is just totally hateable. He hadn't quite, Bogart hadn't quite developed but, by 1939. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we always, Petrified Forest is... is we love that movie, but it's really not an exception to mm. what we're talking about here, right? Right, right. So, so he still has that perfunctory sort of well, George Raftian. But more than say, like the Public Enemy, like you could look and and yeah, he's a, he's again he's the rabid rat in the room, but he he makes his own. He makes sense. Bogart does. Yeah, he's the one who belongs in that fucking job. Yeah, Cagney doesn't really. He's just no. A, that's the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but but Bogart represents the person who does belong there. He should yeah. be there, you know. 
Yeah, what happened to Cagney? Because in the th- I think the 30s, he was amazing. Mm-hmm. In the 40s, he did some cool stuff, including uh, White Heat. But that, which, by the way, we should talk about Yankee Doodle Dandy sometime. I liked that movie when I was a kid. What a... Oof, it's not... I don't think I've... I don't think I've seen any part of it that wasn't his dance scene. I don't think I've seen... He was a movie. dancer to begin with, by the way. Worth yeah, the song and dance, man. A little like a good old vaudeville. And then in the 50s, he was just sort of a, an oddball person to bring in once in a while. Mr. Roberts. You know what? Maybe he parallels William Powell in that sense. I, hmm. He's probably tired of me saying that, Tom. Well, yeah. 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 All right. Uh, great movie. passion for William Powell, unrivaled. Yep. Uh, he, by the way, William Powell was was uh, neck deep in, um, what's her name? Not, Myrna Loy. Well, and the maybe, but um, the fuck, who were we just talking about? Uh, Gene Harlow. Really? That was his main squeeze for years. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Which, eh. it's kind of, I don't, there's something about it her, I don't get. It must be, it's definitely got to be a time and place thing. Well, she looks like she stinks, first of all. <laughs> yeah. She kind of has like, that quality of, of looking like she smells. <laughs> yeah, it's like she walked out of a bowling alley and put on that dress. And she know. also has a face that's not, it's, I mean, I get it. Kinda, you write it down like, oh, it's, ugly. it's something not quite, it's a little Borgnine-y. Yeah. I agree with you there. Yeah. I just don't get it. Don't get it. That's okay. I'd Ernest Borgnine first. No. Oh, the Gene Harlow, yeah, for sure. Oh, now you're being Because you know he'd hold you well at the end of that. Mm. Yeah, that spooning wouldn't be worth the price of admission. Some tomato. Uh-huh. All right. A little, little whop. Yeah, anyway, Cagney's long overdue, and I'm sure there are other things we could say about him, but wow, what a dynamic character. And also, yeah. he if I can add this, not that it really matters at all, the good guy you suspect he was, I understand he really was. Yes, yeah, he actually was a nice person. Oh, and let's go back to his gayness for a second. <laughs> because even, it's not... Was he gay? Well, there had been long rumors. Everybody. <laughs> well, though these are specific with him and Cary Grant. Really? That they had a sort of a situation happening on the DL, as they like to say. <laughs> no, put it in me. Yeah. <laughs> Judy, Judy. But, but, but Cagney, it's not just the putty's uh, butthole on his nose scene. And it's, it's also Cagney, and maybe it's because he's a dancer, the way he held himself. But he, when he was wearing those pajamas, prior to his manly act of, of citrifying that woman's face, uh-huh. He wears pajamas like my Aunt Myrtle. I mean, he he looks like a real uh, ladies' lady in some of those scenes sometimes. I mean, you yeah. Well, there's a th- yeah. He's got a feminine. He's, he's got, got a feminine, feminine quality. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's still likable though. Hot. Yeah. I mean, uh, hey now. All right. Uh, two thumbs up. All the way. Yeah, for both All these movies. Way. Yeah, specific. And, I mean, more for the Roaring Twenties. But you got if you can watch both of these back to back, I totally recommend it. It'd be about yeah. three hours to do that. It's not bad. Not 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 long. Any time. Yeah. I the the I, I want to say the Public huh. Enemy. I want to give high praise for it being pioneering in a way. And it is. And I don't it, know enough about that era's movies to be able to say that. That's why that's I, I felt safe saying it. And and also, it's very. It, it's a good movie for sure. But it does, there are areas that drag you down a little bit, and it's the infancy of film. It's the technology, it's the bad acting, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. 39, you got a polished apple, baby. Yeah, yeah, their apples were truly polished. All right. By people like Cagney. Apple polishers. Wow. Is that a gay term? It should be. Apple polish. Should be. <laughs> what, break it apart for me. you got a core. That's mm-hmm. nothing with polishing the apple, though. Well, I mean, if you really are into it. you got a stem, yeah. and a core, mm-hmm. and a skin. Yeah. And you're polishing it. 
Right. Head There's of, something there. What, I can't what is say. a head of a penis kind of? Like an apple? Have a quality, yeah. I don't share a that perspective. quality with a cleft <laughs> at the end. I never look down and say, there's my apple. Oh, and the skin on the outside. Hmm. Oh, wait, that's, that's not an apple. All right, buddy. I love you. <laughs> and are I you will... doing? <laughs> I was asking <laughs> a serious question. break it down there, yeah. All right. Dummy. Uh, good stuff. On to uh, movie soon. All right, love you, Tommy. I love you, Joseph. Sort of. <laughs>